a famous guru had many people who gathered inside his home to hear his teachings. The less fortunate ones were on the porch, listening as best they could inside. The even less fortunate ones were out on the steps and in the road around the guru's house. And when the guru would say something inside, the folks inside would repeat it to the others who were further and further away. Now, when this guru was dying, the three groups anxiously awaited his last words of wisdom. The disciples inside the house said, Dear teacher, give us your last words of wisdom. And the guru whispered, Life is like a river. The other disciples at a distance said, What did he say? And he said, life is like a river. And even further out, it passed by faithfully throughout each different group to the final. Everyone nodded their heads at these words of wisdom. But one of the men at the far end of the road frowned and asked aloud, life is like a river? What does that mean? So this question passed back through all the people, through the disciples, from group to group, until it came to where the guru lay dying. Life is like a river? What does that mean? The guru struggled to lift his head off the pillow and replied, Okay, so maybe life isn't like a river. Now, that one took me a while. Some of you got it faster than I did. Other disciples have had trouble letting the words of their teacher flow through them. Our gospel passage begins, Then Judas said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Question. Jesus responds, as he often does, by putting a difficult question in a pot and turning on the heat and letting it boil away until it boils down to the good stuff. And it seems to me like his answers always boil down to love. He replies, those who love me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Then he describes the rest of the population. Whoever does not love me will not obey my teaching. And therefore, by implication, Jesus and the Father will not make their home with those who do not love and obey them. Sometimes we Christians, instead of letting the words of our teacher, our guru, flow through us, We dam the river's flow. We ask unnecessary questions or we find ourselves too busy to respond or we ignore the instructions we hear. And that is damning the process. Let me spell that for you. D-A-M-M-I-N-G. However, it can have the other meaning as well. And then Jesus names the river. 
He has said, we will make our home with them. Then he says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. In this past week's newsletter, I mentioned Diana Butler Bass' comment that she had heard author Phyllis Tickle explain that the early centuries of Christianity were the time of the Father, the Reformation was the time of the Son, and these days might well be the time of the Spirit. I think mainline Protestants are guilty sometimes of relegating the Holy Spirit to the Pentecostal churches or the charismatic churches. But we need not fear talking about the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Our world is confusing Our world shoves us toward countless temptations that run counter to God's way. We need a counselor to help us think through our roadmap and guide us in good directions. Some of you who are computer savvy might think of the Holy Spirit like MapQuest. Except the Holy Spirit always gives good directions. In our next scripture passage, we'll find out what happens to those who choose their own routes instead of the spirits. In today's gospel passage, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his physical absence. Then he went away. Now, we won't celebrate Pentecost here for another two weeks, that day that the disciples experienced the arrival of the Holy Spirit. But today's passage from Acts takes place well after Pentecost. By chapter 16, the disciples had experienced the guidance, the wisdom, the boldness of the Holy Spirit time after time. Just prior to today's passage, we read of difficulty among some of the apostles. We've heard Paul and Barnabas' names mentioned together. They had been partners. Well, now they were fighting about who should accompany them on their missionary journey. And so they split up. This powerful missionary team split up, and yet they didn't go separate ways alone. They each took on a new apostle, meaning that they could accomplish twice as much on their missionary journeys. Well, we follow Paul, not Barnabas, but we follow Paul, his new companion Silas, and eventually Timothy, and we see that together, at first, they run into some spiritual roadblocks. These three want to preach in Asia. Remember, they're in the Middle East. They want to preach in Asia, but we're told they were kept from that by the Holy Spirit. 
Then they tried to go to Bithynia, but again, the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Have you ever encountered a roadblock and then discovered you were glad you did? One time when I was dissatisfied with one job and looking for another, I interviewed at a company in Richmond. After making the trip down to Richmond from Maryland, I was disappointed to hear that even though the vice president of this part of the company had invited me for the interview, they didn't have any openings at the time. Well, why did he make me travel two hours for that? But he connected me with someone else. And from that referral, I ended up spending two amazing years in West Africa. Perhaps you can think of a time when you were glad you received a rejection letter from a company or a school. By blocking Paul and his companions from going to places they wanted to go, the Holy Spirit directed them to the place where they were needed most. Macedonia, also known today as Greece. The riverbank introduction of Jesus Christ to Lydia and her people was the tiny starting point for the spread of the gospel throughout Europe. Throughout Europe. From where, I, from where we came. That's our heritage, is this passage today. In a basketball game when Stacy King was just a rookie forward with the Chicago Bulls, he scored one point in a game one, one night where Michael Jordan scored 69. And King's analysis of the game was this. I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> now, I'm not equating Michael Jordan with God, though some would. But even when we add in just our one little point, the much more powerful Holy Spirit can help us win game after game. Now, you may experience the Holy Spirit as your intuition or your conscience. It's the stream that is always running through you, guiding you, or helping you to even question sometimes what you're doing. It's the voice that's speaking when something inside says, this doesn't feel right, or this feels just right. Last week, the Board of Trustees of the Religious Herald, our Baptist state newspaper, was discussing a proposal, and the discussion was going on and on. There were lots of questions that had no strong answers at the time, and A question then was proposed to the person who had initiated the the topic for discussion. And he was silent for a moment while everyone else was just waiting. And then he said, I don't think the time is right for this now. And he withdrew his proposal. Now, he didn't close his eyes and he didn't 
tell any of this, but I saw him looking to the Holy Spirit for guidance in that moment. And only when he felt that guidance did he speak. God's Holy Spirit works in the pauses, works best, I think. We have pause buttons on our VCRs, our DVDs, our MP3 players, whatever other media player you use, all of them have a pause button. Now, I think it would do us well to use that in our lives every now and then, to press the pause button on life. Just stop the action, even for a few seconds. Quietly ask for the Spirit's guidance, and then do what seems right. Conservationists remind us that we live as if there's an endless supply of fossil fuels, food, and I have to remind myself that there's an in, there's an in, there's not an endless supply of second chances. There's not an endless supply of anything. Fossil fuels, second chances, food, all of these can disappear. But unlike these things and everything we know, the spirit of God will never run out or dry up. The Spirit of God is like the wind, Jesus tells us. We can't see it, and we don't know from whence it comes. It simply comes. We've seen pictures in our newspaper and on the news about um, power companies who are harnessing the wind through the power of windmills, Bent Mountain or other places. They've talked about it several different places. Because there's an endless supply of wind. And it's free. We hear of it in terms of mountaintops around here. But up in um, Cape Cod, in the Cape Cod News, they report that they're putting it in. They're talking about putting it in the water. Nantucket Sound, Buzzards Bay have these wind farms where the windmills spin gently around creating power. Writer Kevin Dennehy says that, according to federal energy officials, more than 900,000 megawatts of untapped energy, or the rough equivalent of the nation's electrical capacity, hides in the winds within 50 miles of the nation's coastline. Now, like the electric companies want to harness that wind, we can harness the available power of the Holy Spirit. That same power that counseled Paul and his companions and billions of others through the millennia of human life. As we ask, as we search, and press the pause button from time to time, the Spirit opens the right doors for us as well.